here, don't forget to smash that subscribe button. All right, so I only worked out three quarters of the way through the introduction music that I had not pressed go live. Uh, so you would think, Darren, after a million podcasts that we've done across multiple challenge, channels, the Deli Guna channel, the original Ask Bros, when we were on the clock end together to the modern Ask Bros, you would think by this stage, Darren, by this stage, we would have worked out to press the fucking broadcast button. But that's what happens, Darren, when you're fucking high on life. That's what happens when your football team is is six fucking games without losing, when Mikel Arteta is a god, when the fucking B team is going out and pulling down the pants of a Premier League team. I'm happy. You're on holiday. Darren, tell me tell me how you're feeling. Tell me how I'm you're feeling in this amazing world. I'll tell you what's making it even more amazing for me is, as you know, I'm on holiday, and I arrived here on Friday evening after a six-hour drive and it's raining, it's dark. I don't know where I'm going to watch Arsenal. I was sold an apartment that said it had every channel in the world. It doesn't. So I get on the phone, I, I, look, I Googled sports bars. I found two. The first one, Irish guy, Irish bar, always have football on. Have you got the Arsenal game on tonight? He said, oh, I don't know, maybe. Uh, and I thought, this isn't looking good. I've got half hour to kick off. I phoned the second bar called Cheers in Javier. And do you know what the guy said when I said, have you got the Arsenal game on? He said, of course we have. This is the Costa Blanca Arsenal Supporters Club bar. And I went and watched it in a bar that's got Arsenal paraphernalia all over. I was the youngest one in there at 56, 56, am I 56? I was the was youngest a, Arsenal fan in morgue, there. Then. It was a morgue then, was it? it a was morgue by day and Arsenal fucking fantastic. club by night. Honestly, <laughs> it was it was fantastic. A load of guys in there, all expats living over, all Arsenal fans, bars decked out in all Arsenal gear, watched it with a load of people, went back there last night at seven pints and had a fantastic, fantastic evening. Come on, Mikel Arteta. You know I love well, you. I guess it, <laughs> it, it would be easy, Darren, to kind of brush over the Aston Villa game because the way our games are panning out at the moment, we've had Monday games and Friday games, and it's interesting because we're not flying to, like, Uzbekistan to play fucking locomotive Uzbekistan, which is also really fucking nice. And But I did want to sort of at, at least start with the Villa game because I thought there was some really... Really big, really poignant things that happened in that game for a lot of fans who had taken this mentality that Mike did and that I have and that Dan Potts have that went into this team saying, well, Mikel Arteta's got to show me something. He's got to show me what he's doing. He's got to show me a, a style of player. He's got to show me a direction. And that Villa game, Darren, was the... I've lost you, Mark. Max.
Wait, I'm back. You know. <laughs> Different internet. <laughs> but I think... Oh, what are you doing? Should I just talk? Can people hear me? What's going on? You're meant to get your internet fixed for this week. I've paid for a luxury apartment so I can have 70 trillion gig a second. And now I can't hear you. And you're frozen with a cheeky smile on your face. <laughs> what are we going to do? Were you asking me a question? Are oh, you back? I think I'm back. I think I'm back. It's this fucking being in this fucking bedroom instead of in where I was because there's a fucking baby now and everything's gone to shit. But I think I'm back and I think I should stay back. back. I think I should stay back because that's on the hotspot now. Anyway, I fucked up the whole thing. I was getting excited about things and trying to get you excited about things. But I think the crux of what I was saying, Darren, was that all of the things that we had hoped that we saw, we saw in that Villa game. And what we saw in that first 15 or 20 minutes of the Crystal Palace game, that we then got so upset that we couldn't maintain, retain and put out for that 90 minutes. Did we just see in that Aston Villa game, the first 90 minute performance or close to a 90 minute performance under Mikel Arteta? Yes, we did. And and I feel as if he listened to this podcast last week. Because because our complaints, and certainly my complaints, was that he hasn't done enough to change things. You know, he's, he, he, it was to me, it was the Willian situation all over again in that I've paid a lot of money for this player, so I'm going to play him and play him and play him and play him if it's working or not. But this time, he made some, some really good, I mean, he made some big decisions. He dropped Erdegaard. He dropped Erdegaard. You know, he 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 made those big calls. It's, I mean, I don't know whether Tierney was injured, but Tierney's been very mediocre, and there's talk that he's got a small knock. But he played Tavares. What a breath of fresh air! Yes, absolutely, it was our first. I would say our first ninety-minute performance, and I was delighted. I'm just really delighted because I, I, this, I feel like this team's really working for each other. I mean, that's I think that's seven games unbeaten in all competitions now. We actually yeah. looked pretty damn good. And last night, that was the B team pretty much, with a couple kept their places. And last night, again, they worked really hard. We didn't look as fluent, didn't look as good. But we're knocking over Premier League sides and we're in the last four. Yeah. We're last eight. We, we can we can win that competition. We will definitely get to that because I think, you know, I've entitled this podcast Fringe with Benefits. Well, like can I ask you, sorry to, sorry to interrupt you, what is this show called? Somebody asked me last night, they said, uh, I said, I think it's called Thursday Night Live. But was that last year? If somebody wants to listen to us, what are I they think, called? What is, what is this? I think now we're, we're literally just the Ask Bros. Is this like, the like, only Ask Bros pod? This, this, is the only one, this is the only one we do because Toby's, I tried to get Toby on tonight. I thought because we were doing it in the evening, I could get Toby on tonight, but he's fucking doing something else. He's got out of this state because it's run by fucking communists and he's he's got out. Finally, he's going and living somewhere else. So I couldn't get him on. But we are the ass bros. We're only here once a week. Darren, it's the Max and fucking Darren show. But I, I still play the Thursday night live music because you and I were always Thursday night live. So it doesn't matter that it's Wednesday night or it's Thursday fucking morning. It will always be Thursday night live for you and me, Darren. And um, Darren, the... 
biggest talking point or, or the two biggest talking points, and I don't want to spend too much time on the Villa game because it was in the past. I want to get to the interesting stuff about, you know, the fringe team and how we played and how we're operating and the things that we've seen. But the two really big talking points for me from the Villa game was the Nuno Tavares uh, performance, which people are telling me his name is Nuntavaj. Nuntavaj. I don't give a fuck. I'm calling him Nuno Tavares. But the Nuno Tavares performance, Darren, which reeked to me of... Some people have been saying uh, reeked to them of like Colo Torre. Do you know, for me, what it felt like? A very early Emmanuel Abue. Like, I'm not sure that you have any idea what you're doing, but you're very, very powerful and you run forward very fast. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good, actually. You're right. You're spot on. He, uh, he He's... Uh... I don't think he knows what I'm not doing. sure you know how to play football, is what I'm saying. I'm not sure any of yeah. you is about football, but there's an athlete in there that seems to do things. There's an athlete. That's what he is, isn't he? He's strong and he's big and he shoots every time he gets over the halfway line. <laughs> do you know? He's, uh, I think he wants to play centre forward. He's like the kid at school that you've made him play left back, but he wants to play centre forward. So he's going to shoot and score every time he gets the ball. He's great. Breath of fresh air because... Tierney, we know. Tierney's our favourite player. Come on, Tierney's been solid and great and fantastic when he's not injured. But suddenly there's an option there. And that's what I thought Arteta did so well, is that now when Tierney comes back in, he's got some competition. That's not his first choice anymore. You know, he's, he's not got that name first on the team sheet anymore. And I thought the same with Erdegaard. The two of those not playing means that suddenly there's some competition. Everyone's really up for it. And we did. We played for 90 minutes. It was, it was fantastic. Go on. I think I think if you look at the, the the big teams, the big teams in Europe, and I think sometimes as Arsenal fans, we think we're a big club and yet somehow we still have a small club mentality. I don't know whether it's a hangover from Arsene Wenger because Arsene Wenger relied so heavily in his era on a first 11 so that we only ever think about players in first 11. So like Rob Holding's not playing at the moment, so we immediately think selling. Well, Steve Bold was not a starting centre-back for Arsenal. You know, he was kind of next man up for Arsenal for much of his career. And so, you know, people, they sort of look at it in this sense that, oh, because he's not playing, because he's not starting every game, he must immediately be looking for a new club. But I think if you look at the big clubs, if, especially if you look at the Man Cities and the success of those clubs, it's always about competition for places and it's always about when that person comes in that they go and put pressure on the player who's holding that position. And I think Emil Smith-Rowe has put immense pressure on Erdegaard after Erdegaard put immense pressure on Emil Smith-Rowe. So Erdegaard put that pressure on and Smith-Rowe's answered. Now it's time for Smith-Rowe to put the pressure on and have Erdegaard answer. I think last year Kieran Tierney came in and put immense pressure on the likes of Kalasanak. You know, and now it's it's Tavares's turn to come in and put in a performance like that and put the pressure on Tierney, and Tierney has to step up. And is that not something that is just really fucking exciting and feels really unarsenal? Because if you look at the team that just went out against uh, Leeds, it was basically our fucking first team last year. It, it puts some insight into the turnover that Edu and Arteta and the board have actually put into this club. And I love the fucking pressure. I love the pressure these players are putting on. You're on mute. You're no, I'm not. The, uh, 
I think the uh, the decision to play Lacazette at the, uh, on, on the Friday night game emphasises what you're saying, is that Lacazette played really well in his cameo performances, forced his way into that side. And now on a, a Wednesday night when that would be or Tuesday night, that's when Lacazette would normally come in now as part of the B team. He's now forced his way back into contention. He's now a first-team player, and it gave us the chance to put Eddie Nketiah in and Balogun on the bench. You know, So it's right, there's competition all throughout that. Leno, what a fantastic couple mm. of saves he made in that game last night. You know, there's mm. even Ramsdale can't rest on his laurels because Leno was outstanding again last night. Really, you know, we're, we're in a really good situation. I feel really good. I feel really positive about this team suddenly. Do you not? Well, I mean, winning breeds winning, but it's not always just about performances and it's not always just about wins and losses. It's about responses to losses. And I think that Crystal Palace game, the reason why the Villa game was so exciting was because there was a response to the Palace game. There was clearly an understanding that, that wasn't good enough, that letting a game slip like that wasn't good enough, that running out of energy wasn't good enough. Mikel Arteta said as much in his in his post-match press conference after, after Aston Villa when he was asked, and you brought this up last week, when he was asked what happened, he said, well, I don't know. You know, and the, 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 the larger fan base sort of sat there, and even myself to an extent sat there and said, oh, well, you know, you must have told them to go out and be defensive. You must have told them to go out and rest on their laurels. And I wonder if this is a, you know, somehow a line that we fed ourselves that we then came to believe because that team, that team that went and played in that Aston Villa game, I mean, we had players going down with cramp. The old boys were going down with cramp. I mean, Lacazette couldn't finish the fucking game because he ran himself into the dirt. And we would sit there years ago saying, you know, uh, work for the name on the uh, on the front and they'll remember the name on the back. Right, and I've called Lacazette a pussy time and time again. You know, I've said you're bigger than that, you're better than that. And then you see the guy go out, he's off contract, ready to leave on a free, not in the first team, has every fucking reason to sit down and not do what he's meant to do. He's got Balogun breathing down his fucking neck with a new contract. He's got Martinelli breathing down his neck. And he could have been a Kalasanak. He could have been a Mustafi. He could have been a Mesut Ozil. But I've got to say I have never in the entire time Lacazette has been at this club had more respect for Lacazette and more respect for his leadership than what he's done for us in the last three weeks. He is responsible. Lacazette is almost single-handedly responsible for getting us not only the draws but some of the wins that we've had in the last three weeks. And that's a man who's basically been told you might not be part of this club moving forward. Now, if that doesn't say something about the manager and if that doesn't say something about the organisation, I don't know what does. Am I on mute? No, no, you're good to go. I'm just making sense. So you're so shocked because I'm in that happy equilibrium where I'm pissed enough to be basically a deity. See, I, I'm feeling like I should criticise him a bit now because this podcast is far too positive. <laughs> Do you know, it's like the Darren and Darren show. <laughs> You've got to agree, Darren. The leadership, the the leadership is palpable at the moment. I think I think it's down to our confidence. I think 
when we got beat those first three games, and I think every and and, and when the results don't come, I think everyone starts to question the manager, and that's not just us as as supporters. That's that's players as well. When you're getting torn a new one by Manchester City and Chelsea, and losing, you know, that first game to Brentford, I think you're sort of thinking, well, what do we do? This isn't working. But I think the out of everything that you just said, the key part is the response to that performance against Crystal Palace because it didn't go well. We were great for 15 minutes and then really couldn't put... I read a stat that we didn't pass the ball more than three times uh, successfully for something like 60 minutes. I mean, this is Arsenal Football Club. We are a passing football team. And we didn't pass the ball successfully more than three times. And, and yet against Aston Villa, suddenly every pass stuck. We, we played football like champions. Once we had that game in control, we didn't give them the ball back. And when we got that, when we when they did get the ball, we harried, we did everything that we were hoping a team would do. And we looked like if that game had gone on, they were never going to score. I mean, they got a freak one when in the top corner. He could try that 20 times and that wouldn't happen. And suddenly, you know, we 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 just looked. You know, you laugh at me when I, uh, I, I've always said that we could make the top four this year, especially after those first three defeats. And I know maybe I'm still being a little bit too much, too positive when I'm saying we can reach the top four. But look how Manchester United are imploding at the moment. Mm. Look how average Spurs are. Look how bad a start to the season Leicester City have had. Everton, one of our, our challenges for those that top six places, just got batted five two at home by by Wolverhampton Wanderers. You know, we're 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 actually in. If we can keep this run going, and we've got some important fixtures coming up, we've got to go up to Anfield soon. We're at Leicester at the weekend. Really, really tough game because they've hit a, a bit of form. But suddenly we are in that mix. I can can I make a? I, I need to ask you a question. Do you know? I don't know what the date is today. What is it? It's the twenty seventh of October. Can I honestly tell you, honestly, 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 I haven't looked at the league table yet. So, you know, I looked at it for the first time this season. I looked at it today on the shitter, right? <laughs> I had a look at it. And there's, what is there, five teams on 14 points? I don't know. I still haven't looked. So I just, I do teams, why I haven't there's looked. Four teams, there's four teams on 15 points from fourth to, to ninth. Four or five teams on 14 points from fourth to ninth. And um, there's two things that I, I, I kind of sometimes I like to reflect on things that I've said, Darren, right? Because things that you say in the moment, it's a bit like arguing with your missus, right? Things that you say in the moment aren't always true. Sometimes you're just looking for a reaction, right? So I look back on some of the things that I said and I look back on on something that I said in a tweet at the Crystal Palace game that we didn't dig into and I, I sort of didn't see it spoken about that much. And I wanted to ask you about this. There was a poll that got put up. So Arsenal Fans Forum, big up to Fergus. He runs Arsenal Fans Forum. Um, but Arsenal Fans Forum is full of fucking lunatics, lunatic Arsenal fans who just argue about fucking everything. It has some great people in there. The rest of them are horrible. But Fergus put up a poll and he said, do we give Vieira a hero's welcome or would you boo him? Did you know, Darren, that in this entire fucking poll, there's like thousands of people on this poll, there were three guys who said, no, right? You don't give me hero's welcome. And I was one of them. And I got fucking drilled for it, Darren. And I said, 
He's a hero before the game. He'll be a hero after the game. And during the game, he's the fucking enemy. And I will boo the fucking shit out of him because the result is the only thing that matters. And I got fucking caned for it. People told me I wasn't an Arsenal fan. People told me I was plastic. People told me I didn't know my fucking history. Do you think, Darren, that to an extent, the impact of Vieira in that Crystal Palace game and the fans cheering an opposition manager as he walked out. This is the guy who played for City. This is a guy who played for Juventus. This is someone who we came up against. Do you think, Darren, that I was maybe justified now that you look back on it in saying that we made too much of Vieira coming back to the Emirates and we made him feel too at home coming back to the Emirates and that may have been a reason why we fell over? That's a really, really good question, Max. Blimey, you should get drunk every time we do this. Uh... <laughs> Equilibrium's made too far and it's all fucking dick jokes, not far enough, and I don't have this sort of amazing rhythm. It's a good question because it's such a unique circumstance, isn't it? It's such a unique circumstance because he is in our all-time, everybody who's of any age, he's in our all-time top five, top three, Top 10. Sorry? If you were putting together an Arsenal 11 oh, yeah. tomorrow, yeah, yeah, I would but, argue but, that Vieira would be one, two, or three, number one, two, or three in picks for that team if you were I mean, putting it together. It, it even goes further than that. I say, when I said top five, top three, I can't think possibly, well, maybe five, but um, Jerry Henry, Tony Adams for me, Liam Brady, Liam Brady, because I'm very, I'm very old. Um, but Patrick Vieira gets into that top three of most people's teams. And would you want to see Patrick Vieira as manager of Arsenal? Yes. You know, whether that be tomorrow or in 10 years' time, we would love it. He is. I he wonder, is... Darren, I wonder, Darren, if we almost willed it because we weren't in love with Arteta. There's so much the fan base that wasn't in love with Arteta. And Arteta's like, We've been married to Arteta for a period of time and we we really love her, but we do not want to fuck her. And Vieira is like this ex-girlfriend. I wonder if we almost willed it to happen. I wonder if the fan base almost willed it to happen because it fits so heavily into their fucking narrative that we would go and lose to Vieira, that we didn't we didn't treat him like the hostile competitor that he was that played for us. What more would you expect from Vieira? Knowing what we know about Vieira, would you have expected him to come to Arsenal, to come to his former club and say, oh, well, let's be really nice and let's not go and try and pull them apart? Fuck no. Vieira came out and said, let's kick the shit out of them. Let's foul the fuck out of them. Let's break down the midfield and let's go get a point. Did we love him more than he loved us, Darren? Uh, yeah, very possibly. I mean, I think we... Uh, as fans, we look at these idols and we hope that they love us as much as we love them. You know, uh, he did leave us under a bit of a cloud, went to Juventus. I uh, remember the night when uh, I think it was Cesc Fabregas made his one of his early games and, and took him to the cleaners. You know, uh, we were we, we just basically said that is the end of, of Patrick Vieira. We've got our new superstar. But I, I think what you miss slightly is the game. Do you remember it was... Uh, I can't remember what game it was, the Norwich game, where we Spurs had just got beaten 3-0 by Crystal Palace. And we sang his name for the first 15 minutes of that game. He wasn't even there. We wasn't playing Crystal Palace. So I think Vieira, it's so difficult. I think anybody else, you're possibly right. 
but Patrick Vieira is just so big in our history. I, I, uh, I can't help it. I can't say a bad word against him and I want to sing his name. Although where I make you right is I didn't sing his name during that game. Um, I, you know, I wasn't, there was a lot of Vieira chants going around when I walked into the stadium and I'm with you on that. I thought, well, hang on. This is this is Arsenal. We're at support Arsenal, not the opposition manager. So it was a bit weird that, but I really got it two not, weeks early. Not the Patrick. You are not the, your internet's gone again, mate. You are not the Patrick Vieira. The, it's got to come back. Yeah. Is it back? <laughs> Sort of. Okay. You're not moving. Turn your camera off. I've literally got nothing else I can do. It's not back. All right, my internet's back. To all the people listening, I'm immensely sorry. The fucking internet is terrible where I am. Um, Dazza, into the game tonight. You're on mute, by the way, just so you know. Into the game that just happened tonight, Darren. I've named this podcast Fringe with Benefits. Fringe with benefits. And we sort of touched on it earlier on where I said this team would have been starting uh, last season. This would have been the starting team last season. Do you not think, Darren, that going and putting a performance in like this against Premier League opposition where this cup would be actually quite important to a team like Leeds, going and putting in a performance like this with a B team actually says a huge amount or a huge amount more about the direction that Arsenal are actually moving in, that these guys, who a lot of them are barely playing, have managed to go out and put in an effort like that and a performance like that? I think something you're missing here is that you just said it's important for a team like Leeds. This competition is important for a team like Arsenal. This is possibly our best chance of silverware this year. Can I just ask, when was the last time that we won a Carabao Cup? Because the last I remember, the last I remember is the 93. uh, Sorry, the last I remember us even being in a final would have been the Kishelny fuck up with Wojciech against Birmingham. Birmingham, yeah. 93 we won it, I believe. Um, that was We won both Cups in 1993. I don't think we've won it since. But that's okay because we were challenging for European honours, we were challenging for Premiership titles and Arsene Wenger's philosophy, which everybody else took on board eventually, was to play the reserves, was to play his second string side. And this was also always a chance for us. That's why it was always cheap tickets for this game. He would put on a load of kids. And we did really well with those kids. But the first team was exceptional. The first team was out of this world. So this was a chance for us. It wasn't a trophy that we were interested in. Look how far we've fallen because we're not challenging. Is is a question. You know, I mean, uh, we were ridiculed uh, within our own fan base 
for the top four trophy. What would you take this year? Would you take fourth place or would you take winning the Carling Cup or the Carabao Cup? Or the can we just call it the League Cup? At this stage, in the position we're in and the money that we have invested, I would say fourth place. Because Champions League football, not only if you look at the investment that we put in, we've had to put in that investment and we've had to pay overs for players because we don't have Champions League. But I think if we were to invest that same amount of money into a Champions League potential squad, we would be able to actually get a higher calibre of player. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's, uh, you know, I, I was always, if you listen to my podcast over the years, I've always said trophies are more, more important. You know, I mean, I think oh, finishing I? in the top four has, has always been a, a given for us for so many years. You know, what were we, 20, 25 years or something, every year we qualified for European football. And now um, we're so far adrift, two eighth-place finishes. <coughs> Excuse me. For me, it's always been about trophies because they're the days that you remember. You know, even the FA Cup, um, apart from during lockdown, the FA Cup against Chelsea in 2017. What a fantastic day out. It will live with me for my life. I don't remember the fourth place finish finishes, but I think you're right this year. But this is, what I was going back to my point, this is a really important competition for Arsenal. Not only does it get some minutes into the legs of the players that don't play very often because we've got no Europa League, we haven't even got the Europa League conference to look forward to. So it's so important for so many reasons to keep. If we'd have got knocked out uh, in the early stages of this, lots of our players wouldn't be able to play at all. You know, there's first team football and nothing else. There's Premier League football and nothing else. The FA Cup doesn't start till January. So it's so key for us to, to continue in this competition. And it's our best chance of silverware. So I think there's a mentality in the club that we want to win things. Not only do those players want to come in and prove a point that they can get into that first team, but I think the club as a whole, we know that this is our best, best chance of winning anything this year. I mean, it really is. I mean, we obviously got a good chance in the FA Cup as well because we're Arsenal and it's, it's a competition we, we play well in. But I'm with you. I think I'll take fourth uh, over, over Silverware in this particular I, I year. Think, I think if we scrapped a fourth spot, it would be a year to two years ahead of schedule. Well, let me stop you ask you that question because you ridiculed me on this podcast this season, ridiculed me for, for, for me daring to dream that we can finish in the top four, daring to dream. When I look at the competition, Liverpool are miles better than anyone. Um, Chelsea keep getting great results with a, a, a really poor performances, in my opinion. And Manchester City are Manchester City. So there's one spot for me. That's all we're playing for. There's one spot. I'm not being ridiculous enough to say we're, we're challenging for the title because I know there's a huge gulf between us uh, and Liverpool, City and Chelsea. But when you look at the rest, are we not as good as Manchester United, Tottenham, Everton? You know, the teams that oh, we're... I think, we're... I think there is a mini-league, Darren. There's a mini-league happening underneath the main league. And for me, we've got Liverpool coming up, right? I can't remember whether it's in two games, three games or four games in our, in our next block, right? And give a flying fuck whether we win or lose against Liverpool. Not that I don't care if we'll win or lose against Liverpool. It's a stupid fucking thing to say because if we won against Liverpool, I'd go off my dick and yell at all my Liverpool friends. But I mean, I'm not going into that game thinking anything other than performance, 
right? I, I, I want to go there and I either want to be hard to beat or I want to be competitive. I'm not going there thinking I'm going to win anything. But the mini league that exists underneath them, the Manchester United games, the Everton games, the Leicester games, I don't think there's ever been any more importance on those games that I can remember because if we go and win those games with the way that we're playing and the way that we're scrapping points, even when it's not really working out for us, I think that means that if you beat the teams around you, you've got a really good chance of coming out top of that mini league. So I will say that I think fourth is a possibility based on what I'm seeing, but things could change very quickly at someone like Man United, right? If they sack Oli and Conte, comes in that all of a sudden changes really quickly because I, th- I think their their trajectory is higher than ours I think probably the the level of which their young kids are at uh, their Greenwoods to an extent obviously their Rashfords and guys that I think they're just a, maybe a time maybe not Mason Greenwood but there may be a tiny bit ahead of where we are just by a hair and I think we can make up that ground pretty quickly I think it's maybe 30% yes for fourth and 70% no for fourth. And I actually think for where we are and for where we are in our, I guess, our timeline of Arsenal and where we thought we were, I actually think that's better, that 30% chance of yes is about 20% better than what I thought it was. If that answers your question in a really fence-sitting, splinters-in-my-ass roundabout way. <laughs> well, it's just kind of refreshing that you, we've both seen enough. I mean, I'm the opposite today. I'm so excited. I think we're going to win the league again. You know, I mean, that's just after a couple of performances that have been pretty indifferent. You know, I thought Brighton was indifferent. I thought um, the Palace game was indifferent. It was it was just on the fact that we played so well against Aston Villa, who, to be fair, didn't turn up. But I think it was our our... our our mentality and our energy that stopped them being able to play. Because I've seen Villa take Chelsea apart this year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I thought, you know, it was such a good performance. And last well, night just kept the, the momentum The manager going. said, Darren, their manager said in the post-match, he said, Arsenal didn't let us play our football. I thought that was really poignant. Got missed by everyone. Because a lot of people, including myself, Darren, tweeted after the Aston Villa game that I thought Aston Villa were poor much like Tottenham were poor, right? I thought their midfield didn't measure up. And I thought we, I said last year that we, sorry, last week that we were a blitz team, that as long as we scored the goals in every game, we would have a period of time where we we very quickly went up through the gears. And if we scored goals in that period of time, we were going to be hard to beat. Um, But there is such a massive, or, or does seem to be such a massive shift, Darren, mentality-wise, across the entire squad. And that's probably the thing that I was most impressed with with the Leeds game. And I, I want to I want to drill into mentality, Darren. I want to drill into mentality and I want to drill into desire because I think all these things buy into the fact that Mikel Arteta is having an effect. And it brings me back to what I said at the start of the podcast about Mikel Arteta has to show me something. That's what I went into with this season. He has to show me something. Darren... That performance against Leeds from Ainsley Maitland-Niles is probably his most memorable. Lost you again, Max. We lost you again. And I hope you're going to say muddled. I've got mm, uh, maddening. 
uh, misplaced, misfit. Because if you're going to say he was marvellous, then I disagree with you. <laughs> Ainsley Maitland-Niles was essentially fucking brilliant he was in the game against Leeds. He was man of the match by an absolute fucking mile. His passing was supreme, Darren. His vision was incredible. His athleticism was just so much a level above everyone else in the team. That's because Darren, he was alongside Mohamed El Nenny and he makes everyone look better. I didn't even realise El Nenny was on the fucking pitch until he got subbed off, Darren. I didn't realise Enketi was playing for half an hour. <laughs> I thought Eddie had quite a good game, actually. I thought he, I'm, I'm can, amazed, Darren. Can we, have a, can we have a minute I'm to amazed laugh. that you don't think that AMN had one of his most complete performances. I was, was astounded by the level that AMN produced in that he, game. He was okay. Come on, let's have a moment to laugh at Eddie Enketi's goal. Did she, you not think that was just the the best touch to knock it over the goalkeeper? The best touch to control it. <laughs> the air kicks it. <laughs> it almost reminded me of. Have you ever seen the Nwanko Kanu miss when he played for Portsmouth? Yes, it's yes, like, yes, yes. It's the greatest miss of all time. It's an open goal, and I've forgotten who the commentator is. It might be Martin Tyler, and he says only Nwanko Kanu could actually find a way of missing that. When yeah. Eddie Nketiah did that, I was just. I was just in another world. Like when he, it when was he almost it. an air shot. How it went in, I've got no idea. You know isn't I mean? that isn't that just a, a you know such a like a macro universe of Eddie and Kedia? Yes. Okay. He's such a um, a blue collar player. If you get what I mean, you know he's such a like you almost expect him in the mines. Margaret Thatcher's shut down the coal mining industry. Right, you almost expect Eddie Nketiah like on the line, spitting on fucking people going back to work, calling them scabs. <laughs> fucking scab. Right, he's so fucking working class, Eddie. The way he goes about his business, it's like he does everything right. It's like no one in the world could try any harder, and yet somehow he almost contrives a way to completely fuck it up. Darren... <laughs> If Ainsley Maitland-Niles for you wasn't the man of the match, which he was, for, which he absolutely was for me, and Humbo Gumbo said he loved what Maitland-Niles did. As I think well. the word is liked. I can read. Yeah, yeah, he liked him. And um, <laughs> if he wasn't the man of the match for you, if he wasn't the guy who drove it forward, then who was? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, it was a good workman light performance. I thought everyone played quite well. I'm only dissing Ainsley Maitland-Niles because I know he's your love child, uh, and. Love uh, him. Any moment. He is one of those that's um sorry, my wife just walked in the room naked. Uh <laughs> well Carry. if my internet goes down, Darren, you've probably got just about enough time to have a fucking shag, get it done, read her a poem, have a glass of wine, smoke a cigarette, and come back. Because that's yes. how fast you are. How did you know? <laughs> have I left this camera on? <laughs> <laughs> No, um, I've, I've completely lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, look, I only digging out Mainz, Maitland Niles because um, you know I know you love him. I know he's. Uh, well, who did you? Who did you think Darren was was fantastic in that game? I thought Smithrow looked like the senior player on the pitch, which I thought was a was a was a real sign of how he's improved over the last twelve months. Because twelve months ago he was the player that would be making his sort of debut in these sort of games. He was he was coming on. We were hoping he was going to be good. I mean, I've seen him in those games for the last two or three seasons where he's he's been the bit part player. 
yesterday I thought he looked majestic. I just thought he his 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 work rate, his his positioning, everything about him was very good. He looks on, but I thought that against uh, I thought um, Ben White. I know he was ill. I think I've just written down Thomas Party and Ben White. Just going back a little, we re I really pulled pulled them apart a couple of uh, podcasts ago because I just didn't think they've been very good. But I thought that they looked, you know, Ben White suddenly looks like a commanding central defender in that team. And it just shows I how thought, much he's come on, you know. I thought about this, the Ben White thing, because it was only a podcast ago that we were saying, you know, is he another for Marlon? Is he another guy who errs on the pretty side of the game? You know, is he like Pete Koscielny? Koscielny got better. I'm actually a Koscielny fan. Koscielny became a much, much, much better defender as he went on. I think an underrated defender as he went on. But we did pose the question if he was a bit like early Koscielny, a bit like for Marlin, even a bit like Mustafi, you know, would do the amazing. And, you know, we look at the goal that we conceded against Palace, against Edouard and him backing off. But I've got to say that Ben White looks, or, or, or definitely in the last two games, looks like he's almost taken it upon himself to prove that element of us wrong. Robust challenges, aerially strong, you know. You know, he's not a guy who seems to get clipped and, and go down. He carries the ball. He brings it forward. He pings a ball in this game like a 40-yard ping, Darren, that if Granite Xhaka had have pinged that ball, Twitter would have fucking ejaculated all over itself. All the Granite Xhaka fans would have ejaculated all over themselves. And this guy is a fucking centre-back. And I think it comes back to that notion, Darren, if I keep bringing this thing back to a theme, it's that players don't respond from losses like this. Players who don't believe in the manager don't respond from losses like this. There's no disconnect in that dressing room, Darren. There's clearly no like, oh, I'd, I'd quite fancy if Arteta fucked off. And I think that speaks volumes for the squad. And I think it speaks volumes for Mikel at the moment. And I've been a I've been a detractor. I've been an open detractor of Mikel. But like I said at the start of this podcast, he needed to show me something. And weirdly, it's not Mikel who showed me something. It's his squad that has showed me something. It's his fringe players that have showed me something. It's Callum Chambers coming on and scoring a goal that has shown me something. And Callum running to the bench and embracing the bench and seeing that togetherness. It's Rob Holden getting a start, having essentially gone from being me saying last season I wanted him Arsenal captain because he reminded me so much of old-fashioned players, uh, to Southgate looking at him for an England spot and him apparently being on the fringe of an England spot to not playing. And Rob Holden comes out and puts in this supremely controlled performance. And again, can I add, Darren, against Premier League opposition, and against a, a, a Belessa team that is Bielsa, against a Bielsa team that is, you know, a, a quite a serious team, quite a serious, well put together team. There's let me, let me, uh, I stand 100% behind what I said last week about Ben White, is that he's been incredibly poor. But I don't think that's because he's a bad player. I just don't think he's, he's made the transition from fundamentally a championship player. And then a Premier League player at a, a at a minor club, to a club with the stature of of ourselves, and it, he's looked nervous. He hasn't looked an assured, comfortable player. But then I thought in the last game, and again last night, 
he suddenly, you know, I mean, maybe it's because the whole team was playing well, but he was doing all of those things that we bought him for. You know, he, you know, that was that was the issue. If you remember what I said last week, he wasn't spraying those 40-yard passes because he was nervous of giving the ball away. It's probably the first time he's played regularly in front of 60,000 people. You know, he's, he's been playing at Brighton or in the Championship or in League One. And suddenly he's, he's made this big step up and he hasn't looked the assured player. I thought against uh, um, uh, Aston Villa and again last night, suddenly a little bit more confidence in him and he looked a star player to me. He really does look like he, he could be as good as we're hoping he's going to be. I mean, even Kolasinac, even Kolasinac, even Kebab Meathead, Right, this guy who is so maligned by Arsenal fans and maligned by me, and you know, I, I, I had had enough with him. Even Kalasinak put in an almighty shift for why Arsenal. Did he, why did he? Why did he play him last night? I mean, the I only my, he, my thought process was that if Tierney has got a slight injury and then Tavares is uh, is now first choice for the weekend, he didn't want to risk him. But it did seem strange to me that. Tavares hasn't I, got many I, minutes, and I he, he could have Tavares twice in a week. I, yeah. I, I would have thought you played Tavares twice in a week. The only thing I could think, Darren, was if you don't play these guys, you've got no chance of getting rid of them in January. So if there's a small chance that you can get them out in January, yeah, but do maybe... you think that one game a Tuesday night, cold, wet Tuesday night against Leeds United is is a shop window? Um, you know, I, I, I just thought it was a strange decision that maybe his it's third little, choice. Maybe it's a little bit of psychiatry from Mikel Arteta. Maybe it's a little bit of togetherness. Maybe it's bringing a group together and saying everyone is going to play their part. And as long as you are here, regardless of whether you've got one foot out the door or not, you are all professionals. You are all Arsenal players. You are all Arsenal men. And you'll get your chance. And Kalasanak put his best possible foot forward in this game. I would argue, Darren, that that's the best Kalasanak performance since Kalasanak played under Emery. He didn't fuck up. He worked hard. He very nearly had a goal. I thought he was really strong on the ball. I thought he was very technical for the fridge that I thought he was. I just think that, you know, and, and I, I know I keep repeating myself, but my theme keeps coming back that if Mikel Arteta did not have this dressing room together, and again, I preface this, I'm not a ginormous Mikel Arteta fan. I'm only saying based on what I have seen and based on the fact that I am willing to change my opinion based on what I've seen. To be able to bring in so many fringe players who are essentially not playing one foot out the door linked with other clubs or have already been out on loan and to be able to get a performance like that it reeks of a togetherness within the dressing room and it reeks of a togetherness within the club and the ideas of the club. It's the, that element of it is the most excited that I've been. It's not the football. It's not the victories. It's not the six in a row. It's the idea that if we're building a culture of next man up, that's quite a big club mentality, that culture of next man up. There's, there's a really nice thing in that side. There's no superstars. I can't remember a team, you know, and look around teams in the league. There's no superstars. There's no Harry Kane in our side. You know, there's 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 no one player. They're all, you know, I mean, Aubameyang's got a great history. Lacazette's been player of the year. Um, so has Kieran Tierney. But they're, they're, they're still not superstars, are they? They're, they're still not. If you were selling Arsenal shirts, I bet the names 
are spread evenly amongst that squad. You know, I mean, if you were buying a shirt, apart from your Ainsley Maitland-Niles shirt... You know, I've got a shirt coming and it's got Ainsley Maitland-Niles on the back of it. <laughs> oh, I hope we sell him in January. But in saying that, Darren, I have to tell you the last four names that are on the back of my last four shirts. Yes, yes, I know. You you, you do wear them. Let me ask you a question. Theo, Theo um, Walcott bounced yeah, out of the yeah. club as soon as I got the shirt. Jack Wilshere retired as soon as I got the shirt. Um, Danny Welbeck sold as soon as I got the shirt. And now Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Good. Good. That's excellent news. Uh, let me ask you a question. When do we when do we stop playing a B team in this competition? I think We're in the quarterfinals. Should... We're in the quarterfinals. Do we, we know who we... we've got yet? No, no. The, the rest of the games are this evening. So I guess the draw is tonight. So uh, I guess that does make a difference. If we draw Sunderland at home, then perhaps, you know, you've got another chance to give these a run out. If we draw Manchester City away, I mean, what does he do? It's it, it's a real balance. I think, it yeah? depends, I think it depends, Darren, on our league position because I don't actually think you said what would you take, top four or not top four? And I think, you know, I said I think top four. And I think kind of the high brass at Arsenal would be thinking top four as well. So I actually think it depends on what game is coming up that weekend or what game happens immediately before that game, if you get what I mean. So let's look at the fixtures either side of that game. I think if there's a big game coming up, we're likely to say, nope, we'll go with the B team that we've got. I think that if there's a Premier League fixture coming up that we think not that we can coast through, but we can give our players 50, 60 minutes and change it up. Uh, I think we'll go with that sort of outcome. I've never been big on play a B team for the entire competition and then put your first team out for a semi-final. I've never been big on that. I've always thought that if you're going to play a B team, that means that you're playing system. Arsene Wenger took it to the nth degree, didn't he? Uh Arsene Wenger, I've just seen Humbo, Hambo Gumbel just said that the draw's on Saturday. Um, but Arsene Wenger took this to the to the nth degree, didn't he? He played and we got through to that final that we nearly won. Actually, against it wasn't the Chelsea. Birmingham one. It was against Chelsea. That was the last and time Theo, we got rid of Theo final. Walcott scored his first goal for Arsenal and it was like watching Thierry Omri open foot, curled it into the bottom right corner, coming of age. The only thing they've got in common is, uh, is they're both... Male. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> That's it. There's 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 no what comparison. Number was, what number did Henri wear? What was Henri's number? Fourteen. Okay. Wasn't it? So if I was to wear a Liam Brady shirt, it doesn't mean I was as good as Liam. What's Henri not number fourteen, Darren? Well, yeah, but that's that's just that's imitation. Is the biggest Here's a trivia for you, Darren. Here's a trivia for you because I actually know this. Who was fourteen before Henri? Uh. You see, I'm from an era where 14 meant you were the third substitute. <laughs> I'm from an era where we used to play 1 to 11. Numbers were 1 to 11. Number 12 was a subs shirt, as was 13 and 14. So I don't know. Go on, tell me. I'm Googling it. <laughs> well, that's good. It makes good podcasting. <laughs> well, I'm Googling it right now. Um... Yeah, go on. That'll fuck your internet up. <laughs> no, no, no. It's come up with like every single person that ever existed for Arsenal in history. All I found out was that Alexander Clare bore 13, 
which makes sense because he was never quite good enough to do anything else, Darren. I just, uh, back, back to my question, though. So, so you, I mean, all right, it does depend a little on the draw and it does depend a little on fixtures either side. But if he was to put out a, this, the, you know, I mean, he did keep some players in last night. Smith Rowe played again. Ben White played again. Um, you know, well, we're not exactly a poor side. Pepe was playing. You know, there's some good players in that side. You know, we've talked about it holding. But if he was to play Cedric instead of Tomoyasu in a big game and we lose, then you think he'd be open to just so much criticism because football is about winning things. And we've got a chance. We're three games from I think, I three think games and a fortuitous draw away from winning the cup this year. I think that if you draw a team who you should beat, you play the players, you rest players related to what's going on. But don't forget, Darren, in the League Cup, you've got five subs. It's the only competition where you've got five subs in. So you can change a game very, very, very considerably in a half, uh, which means you can either put your best team out there, and if they're not doing it, you can put different people out there, or you can put your second team out there, and if they're not doing it, you can do it too. Darren, you brought up a very interesting point. I know. Or you brought up an interesting name, and I I, I did want to chat about this tonight because uh, I put a tweet up, Darren. I like to put tweets up. I fucking hate Twitter, actually. Oh, look, Mike's just joined us on the chat. Fuck, I think he's just remembered he's meant to be on with seven minutes to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, Darren, I put a tweet up today saying... This isn't a bashing on Nicola Pepe, right? It's not a bashing on Nicola Pepe. But if everyone is fit in our squad right now, I do not believe that Nicola Pepe gets anywhere near a starting spot. I don't believe it. I don't believe he's mature enough. I don't believe that he is developed enough. And I believe that Emil Smith-Rowe, Saka, and Martinelli at their very, very, very young ages of what, uh, what are we talking, 19, 20, 21, or 2021, 20, 22, are so much more developed as all-round footballers than what Nicola Pepe is at 26, turning 27 this year. Is it time to cash in while we can maybe get 30 or 40 million pounds for him? No. Um, for a start, we'll, we won't get that for him because he is a £25 million player in today's market. And, you know, we overpaid ridiculously. I was having this conversation in the pub last night. You know, I mean, that's, you can't help but call him, you know, that's the thing we reference him to. He's 70 odd million pounds that we play for him. That was a mistake, not his fault. And I still say if he was 25 million or if he'd come up through our youth system, we would love him. But that £72 million price tag is always hanging around his neck. I wouldn't be so quick to dismiss him. I just think that his form's not great at the moment. He's a bit, he reminds me a bit of Walcott. He's got one trick and everyone in the Premier League has learned that trick. Um, Can I but just I think say he reminds me more of Javinio? No, I don't get that. I think Javinio uh, didn't know what he was doing. Pepe absolutely knows what he's doing. He's just not very good at doing it. You know, Theo Walcott had this. <laughs> Theo Walcott had this, this, uh, this one trick. You know, Theo Walcott always did the same thing. And after about three months of professional football at the top level, every fullback in the country knew exactly what he was going to do. So then they would beat him a couple of times, and then Walcott would go and hide. Pepe's reminds not like that. A, reminds me of Alexis Sanchez. Yeah. Well, Pepe doesn't do that, but I just think if I mean I don't want to be critical of. Um, Darren, of... would you agree though that 
in a team that played really, really well today for about 70 minutes. Pep actually played quite well for the last 20 minutes. But for about 70 minutes, Pepe not only was the poorest player in the team, but looked technically a level but, below for a guy well, who's meant to be technical. What I was going to say, you know, no one wants to be critical of our, our homegrown superstar, Bukaya Saka. But I thought really for the majority of this season until the last couple of games that Saka was off form. And I listen to all you lot keep telling me it's tired and needs to be rested. And I can't see as a 19, 20-year-old being asked to play one game a week is too much. You know, I think uh, Saka was just off form. Maybe it was a hangover from the Euros. Maybe it was all the pressure he's gone through. But he, he wasn't very good. He wasn't involved in the games. Uh, he, he, he didn't do any of the things that we love him for. Uh, and then the last couple of games, he's got better and he's on form. You know, this is a squad game. And when Smith Rowe, who also has games where he's just you know, not there. Pepe's a really good alternative. I agree with you at the moment. If I was writing on paper my first 11, I don't think Pepe would be part of it. But I also don't think you should write him off. He's a, his record for goals and assists is very, very good. And even though he may disappoint and frustrate for 80 minutes in a game, that 10 minutes where he's good, he's so good that mm. uh, I think I think uh, absolutely no, we should persevere with him. For me, Darren... Uh, and you also, sorry, I'm just going to go, Martin, go on, you can come back on that, but I also, you mentioned Martinelli as being better than him. Come on, we've just watched Martinelli again play, you know, from the start. And again, okay, was he any good? Not really. You know, Pepe's he runs into blind alleys. Pepe's played about three times, three, four times as much football as Martinelli this year. And but I Martinelli, don't you, think, don't you worry that Martinelli runs into blind alleys? Martinelli outperformed him in this game. He outperformed him in this game, and and you, Pepe said really, countless chances. Because what yeah, because they does. both did fuck all. What they Martinelli... both did fuck all. <laughs> okay, so you're saying that he he outplayed him by doing less fuck he all. He did than Pepe. less. He did less fuck all than the fuck all that Pepe did. Is okay, what but what his fuck all, Martinelli's fuck all, is 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 show a turn of pace, make a fantastic run, get on the ball, drive towards goal, and then absolutely have no composure as to what to do next. Pepe yes. at least knows what he wants to do and doesn't do it. So I would say Pepe his level of fuck all... Pepe is he's... 27 this year, Darren. 27. And Gabriel Martinelli is 20. Like yeah. there's a, And this is what I'm saying. I'm, ta- I'm, I'm not talking about the completion of the players, Darren. I'm talking about the development of the players and how much you can get out of someone moving forward. It's on the the Saka Pepe thing. I was having this conversation with someone the other day on Twitter. It's the 80-20. And Ryan, Aspro's Ryan, Ryan from same old Arsenal USA, doesn't make a lot of sense, but very, very occasionally he accidentally makes sense. And he said when we were all on with him a couple of weeks back, that Saka might do nothing throughout an entire game, but he's got that thing, which is that moment, which is that bit where he wriggles out of something. So for me, it's like the 80-20 rule, Darren. And what I find is that Saka does the 80 really well and the 20, which is actually the final bit, the finish, the final ball, it's that 20 that lets him down. But that 80, his tracking, his work rate, his ball retention, 
his intelligence of ball, his intelligence of delivery, his weight of pass, his first touch. The 80, it isn't necessarily highlight fodder. He does really well, and I'll agree with you, this season he's missed out on the 20. The thing I find with Pepe is he's purely the 20. He's purely the end product. I agree. If you, you think about, about Saka's miss, you think about Saka's miss, the ball from Tavares to Saka against Villa, where Saka knocks it straight to the keeper. It's a terrible fucking finish. You put Pepe in that position, he cunts that top corner every fucking time. You're making my point. But he doesn't do the 80. He just does the 20. And I don't know that you can you can live as a 20 at 20, nearly 27 years old, whereas Saka has the 80 and we need him to develop into the 20. Does that make sense? It, it makes it makes very good sense. And I, I know it makes sense because, as you said, it wasn't your point. You stole it off, uh, off Ryan. Uh, but I stole some the, of it off Ryan. The, the the 20 that Pepe does is the 20 that I pay to go and watch Arsenal to see. You know, and I don't want to just put that down to Pepe. But, you know, when you just see that moment of brilliance and Pepe, you know, we're a little bit workmanlike sometimes without him because he doesn't seem to know what he's, um, you know, if it's going to work or not. It, 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 it just, when he gets the ball, people do get off their seats. You know, I mean, the last few games, he's, he's terribly out of form at the moment. He's lacking in confidence and things aren't going well for him. But I still go back to, you know, that first goal we scored, Aubameyang, uh, on Friday night, which started uh, against Crystal Palace, was it? Um, mm. Aubameyang smashes one in a rebound. It was from it was from the 20 of Pepe. You know, it was yep. the 20 of Pepe. It was that bit that, 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 that gave us that opportunity. And that technique, that technique, that curled shot, while leaning away from it on a small backlift, isn't it for anyone who's played up front? That's an incredibly technical finish to get power on turn on something. Usually, you give up one to get the other, uh, and and I agree with you, Darren. It's you know that is that is somewhat pretty. Right, we've done our hour. I've got to go and look at some houses. Uh, incredible podcast because you've agreed with me that we can actually make the top four. You've just ended the podcast by saying, I agree with you, Darren. <laughs> finally, finally, you should drink more often. And Mike, come back on next week, will you? When his internet goes down, I don't like sitting here talking to myself. We especially need, since we I talked to myself for ages. I covered for you. To back us up. I covered for you while you were off and then realised I was on mute. So I... <laughs> <laughs> so we had we had a good two minutes of, of dead air while you uh, faffed about. Anyway, look, let's, look, let's Darren, I think I think there's a lot to be excited about. I think there's more to be excited about than what we've had this season. I think the response has been fantastic. And Darren, the in, the, the the last thing I wanted to leave you with is: Are you not excited for the next Arsenal game? Can't wait. Which, is, and, which and has I can't been something that more. has been missing. I can't wait even more because I've found the Arsenal Costa Blanca Supporters Club and I am the youngest one in a very busy room. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to fuck off. Farewell. We'll see you next week. It yeah. may be on a Wednesday. It may be on a Thursday. It may be on a Thursday in the UK, but a Friday in Australia. How's that to fuck you up? Does time exist? Does borders exist? Is the earth even round? Fucking think about it.
is an Ask Brothers production. Follow us on Twitter at The Ask Brothers. Get all our content on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, and SoundCloud at Ask Bros. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to smash that subscribe button.